Today on Ag News Daily. What we did was we developed a new device that helps to improve top canopy temperature measurements. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honcomb here for the Ag News Daily podcast. And I am joined with Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Madison Honkamp. And I tell you what, listeners, we are short Delaney Howell today. She is at the Iowa State Fair chasing down political people, candidates, because they, you know, swarmed the Iowa State Fair the year before an election. So hopefully we'll get updates from her tomorrow on uh, what she learned. Yes, we hopefully we will. But, Mike, did you see, I think it was on Facebook and Twitter, of all the candidates Having Eating. food on a stick at the Iowa State Fair. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I think there. if you're going to run for president and you have to compete in Iowa, I think there's like a, a rule or a law that says you have to eat something on a stick at the Iowa State Fair. And so they all, uh, they all were. It must be. And also I saw one of, I can't remember who it was, but they said they wanted to take a bite of every single food at the fair. And I don't think oh that's my possible. Gosh. I yeah. don't either. Because, you know, they've got those buckets of cookies at the fair. You can't just take a bite of those cookies. You have to eat the entire bucket. Oh, of course not. I had some cookies, some of those cookies for breakfast this morning, so. Good for you, Madison <laughs> Comp. Welcome to adulthood. Exactly. That's what being an adult is all about. It is. Eat your dessert first. That's <laughs> what we like to hear. But we also, we had some news, actually. While you were dining on cookies, we had news published by the U.S. Trade Rep's office basically saying that uh, some of the threatened tariffs on China were going to be delayed. So earlier this month, or late in July, President Trump said that he was going to put, uh, the U.S. would put that 10% tariff on all the remaining imports from China that weren't already tariffed. But today, they pulled that back a little bit. Uh, Some of the things they said will be exempt from the September 1st tariffs are laptops, cell phones, video game consoles, and a few other things. I was following a friend of mine on Twitter, and she has actually dug into it. And She said women's panties were one of the things that will receive an exemption from the tariff, at least until uh, December 15th. So that, that definitely moved the markets higher, got folks thinking, hey, you know, maybe, maybe there is a possibility of, of a deal or at least the possibility that, you know, we're not going to be paying higher prices right away for these tariffs. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is. It could be, hopefully it's a step in the right direction. Um, But does it say why those aren't, those, the tariffs are being exempt from those items? Uh, No, um, it doesn't. So it's, I don't know. No, I I don't have any idea. I'm guessing Hmm. those were industries that were really good at lobbying and saying, you know, this is why we can't face these tariffs so quickly. But that's just a guess. I'm not sure. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. So that's the story there. What else do you have? Well, I do have some Tech Tuesday news um, coming out of NASA. So NASA has developed these little miniature drones that they call cicadas because they look like a cicada. And basically, they were originally built by the U.S. Navy for different purposes than what NASA is using them. But they're actually using them to monitor the weather and... um, use more of a low cost kind of way to find weather patterns and kind of find more out more about those, do a little bit more studying, but they do, they use 
GPS and their micro disposable air vehicle is what they called them that can be deployed in large numbers into an area to figure out, you know, obviously lots of temperature, wind, um, moisture in the air, just a lot of different things. I thought that was really interesting for our Tech Tuesday. That is very cool. It'll be interesting to see if this technology can be commercialized, Mm -hmm. where else we can find uses for these cicadas. Yeah, maybe this will be the new version of like a weather radar. Right. These little micro drones, basically. Yeah, you get a whole fleet of them, you buy them by the gross and send them up there, I guess. I don't know know how it'll work, but I think it's pretty cool stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is. Well, we have some uncool news. Earlier today, the deputy ag minister of Bulgaria in Eastern Europe came out and said the country has failed to contain the spread of African swine fever. They've been dealing with it for a little while. Usually, most of the the findings of ASF have been in backyard herds, but now they say it has it continues to spread. They have now reported more than 30 outbreaks, and about 130,000 hogs have been culled in Bulgaria alone. Uh, we're also seeing a similar outbreak happen next door in Romania. So ASF isn't just confined to China, even though that definitely drives the headlines, but um, it, it could devastate the hog industry in a lot of these other countries. In fact, experts are saying that Bulgaria could lose its entire 600,000 pig breeding industry due to African swine fever. That's awful. It seems like African swine fever is spreading a lot more than it's actually been reported. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think that's because it's so many, so much of it is spread with wild boars. Oh, so they, yeah. You know, so they can sneak around. They're they're crafty, crafty critters. You know. Mm-hmm, exactly. But maybe even Sneaking that... across borders, <laughs> whatnot. Yeah. Maybe this could open up another like trade market for pork from the U.S. Maybe. Maybe the the challenge, I think, is that um, – sorry, my voice is cracking there. I feel like I'm finally hitting puberty. Um, <laughs> the problem is that Bulgaria is – they're a very poor country. And so yeah. it's not just that they're – maybe we could sell some more pork there. But, I mean, a lot of their small growers rely on, on the hogs as their main source of income. Mm-hmm. And they're saying this could damage up to uh, – could cause damage up to about 100 – excuse me, $1.15 billion to that country. Jeez, that's. I just hope that we get like a vaccination or something developed soon or sooner, rather sooner than later. Absolutely. That's what we'd all like to see. Yes, definitely. But another thing that has been kind of pretty costly to Americans really is the soda tax. And so this is a tax put on sugary drinks for the most part. And really, it was originally to a way to fight obesity and diabetes, so making those unhealthy products more expensive, so obviously consumers would be less willing to buy them. But um, many states are going to their legislatures in order to get rid of a lot of these different taxes. Um, oh. Yes, yeah, so... Obviously, this is going to be something that we have to keep our mind on or keep our eyes on, keep watching in the news. And it's not just limited to soda taxes, but just really any taxes that are on consumer goods rather than, you know, just simple like property tax. Um, So we'll kind of see where this goes. 
But interesting, yeah. and you know, you hope with lower prices, maybe that will spur demand. And exactly, the soda industry certainly uses a lot of corn syrup. Yeah, exactly, and that's what a lot of um, the bre- beverage industry, you know, has kind of said. This is it's making our demand go down, causing us to be a little bit unable to produce what we can, and all of that. So, right on. Well, good. And anytime we're repealing taxes, I'm in favor of that. Exactly. <laughs> I want my soda to be as cheap as possible. <laughs> and oh. part of that's because I just don't have any money, Madison. And I say that to tie it into our next story, which is following several years of low farm income, farm loan repayments, or excuse me, payment delinquencies are at a six-year high. So not only do I not have any money, it sounds like more and more growers out there are facing some cash flow issues. Um, This is coming from the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. They released their data. They say that 2.5% of commercial real estate loans in ag were more than 30 days past due, which is up from 2.1% last quarter, and 2.3% of non-real estate loans um, held by commercial lenders were... um, uh, past due up from one and a half percent in the previous quarter. So this is uh, the first time since 2003 that delinquencies have been this high, and kind of proof that we are we're going back to that pre-super cycle, that pre-boom time in agriculture, with these uh, low prices really driving some uh, some some hurt into some farm families out there. Yes, they definitely have. Um, but Mike, I am all out of news for today. Well, I'll tell you what, Madison, I'll be very frank with you. I am all out of news as well, except for the markets. Should we jump right in and hit those? Let's do it. All right, folks. And our markets today, we've got uh, mixed trade in the grains, corn down sharply, continuing losses from yesterday, beans, nice, uh, nice increase today. September corn down 19 and a quarter cents at 366 even. The December contract down 16 and a quarter to close at 376 and a half. In soybeans, the September contract was up nine and a half cents at 876 and a quarter. November new crop up nine and three quarters to close the day at 889 even. And mixed trade in Chicago wheat with the September December up a quarter at 472 even. The December down a half, finishing the day at 475 and three quarters. Now, the real red ink is over in the cattle industry yet again. Continued losses as the industry tries to figure out what to do with the Holcomb, Kansas Tyson plant fire. And uh, as of now, it is just a reason for everybody to sell, it would seem. In live cattle, the October contract down the expanded daily limit of $4.50, closed at $99.25. The December also down that expanded limit, dropped four and a half bucks to finish at $103.95. Feeder cattle also were trading with expanded limits today after yesterday's limit down close. They did not close down the limit. September feeders dropped $6.75 at one. 2720. The October down $6.20 to finish at $127.55. And weakness in lean hogs today. The October contract was down two and a half bucks, closed at $64.57.50. The December down 75 cents to finish at $63.02 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, a little bit of weakness today. The August contract, class three milk dropped three cents at $17.58, with the September down four, finishing it up at $17.74. Well, Madison, without further ado, what do you say? Should we kick it over to our Tech Tuesday conversation? Let's do it. 
Well, for today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to Dr. Ken Sedeth, a USDA agricultural engineer and adjunct professor of bioengineering at MU. Ken, thank you so much, first of all, for taking the time to join us. But tell us a little bit about the study and the work that you've been doing over in Missouri. Sure. Um, The project that we're talking about today was really completed by a graduate student working with me. And what we did was we developed a new um, device that helps to improve crop canopy temperature measurements. And the reason that we might be interested in that, other than for research applications, is the potential for using those measurements to control variable rate irrigation. Okay, so break that down for us. How does the crop canopy temperature affect irrigation? The crop canopy temperature is an indication of how water stressed the crop is. And the more above the air temperature the crop canopy temperature is, the uh, more stressed the crop is and the closer it is to needing irrigation. Gotcha. So how did you guys go about setting up this study in the first place? What made you think this is definitely something we need to look into? The current (laughs) sensing devices that are available for crop canopy temperature sort of fall into two categories. One is uh, an inexpensive device that just gives you a single reading a temperature number, if you will, when you point it at something. And that's great if you have a full canopy, but if it's early in the season and it's only a partial canopy, you'll get part crop and part soil. And the reading will, because of that, not be accurate. The other kind of instrument that is uh, available is an infrared camera. And with that, you can distinguish between the soil and the crop, but in general, those are big and rather expensive. So our idea was to come up with something that would do the uh, things that the infrared camera would do, but at a cost closer to the basic unit, which is called an infrared thermometer. So how did you guys end up developing this new tool? My uh, student took uh, an inexpensive infrared camera and put that together with a regular RGB camera, very similar to what you might see in a, a digital camera that you would have as a consumer. And by doing that, we were able to use the RGB camera to distinguish between the crop and the soil, and then using some advanced image processing techniques to mark out or mask out the the soil areas from the temperature measurement that the thermal camera was giving us. And what that did was it gave us a temperature then that was really just looking at the crop. And not at the soil temperature or other stuff affecting it. Am I understanding that correctly? 
Yes, that's exactly right. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Did you take it even one step further then and look at the healthiness of the of the crop or any sort of effects of using this system versus some of the other, maybe more expensive, bulkier systems with the infrared cameras? Not yet. The study that we've completed was really just about developing the technology and doing some early tests in the field to make sure that it was measuring what we thought it should. But you're right. A logical next step would be to, try to use this system in an agronomic experiment and compare it to some of the other methodologies. Were there any indications of what you expect to see if you do that next step of, or next piece of, a, of the puzzle there? Well, we did see that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in the early season, this kind of approach gave better results than the conventional infrared thermometer because it was able to remove the soil effect. And so our expectation would be that you could control your irrigation using canopy temperature earlier in the season with this system than you could using the conventional methods. So if you had to speculate, how far are we from using your technology as a consumer or as a grower? Well, <clears throat> I think the the system that we developed is, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of ways, but uh, there are some alternatives out there now. We started working on this project several years ago and, and just recently uh, had it published in a journal, which I think is uh, what got it noticed by your program. But at the same time, there have been some advances with similar kinds of systems on the commercial side that are set up to work with UAVs or drones. And so uh, that may be something that will be uh, available soon also. And when you look at a timeline for this type of system that you guys have been working on, will MU be commercializing that themselves? Will you guys work to create partnerships with somebody already in this space to get it commercially rolled out at some point, deciding if you decide, of course, to move forward with it? Right. The uh, As I understand it, the university probably will not uh, look to commercialize this themselves, but uh, certainly we're very receptive to the idea of working, for example, with some of the companies that do variable rate irrigation to see if this kind of technology could fit into their system. That is very, very cool. It's always great to have new tools that can help growers minimize excess water usage or, or you know, maximize their irrigation per, uh, you know, concepts. Um, when you look at further areas of research, you mentioned the next step. What else are you guys going to be looking at? Well, certainly on this project, as, as we talked, one of the things to do is to uh, 
uh, sort of validate the the use of it in controlling irrigation. But from a research standpoint, another thing that is pretty cool, at least to me as a researcher, is just being able to map out canopy temperature differences across fields, even if it's not an irrigated field. And what that may do is it may help us to understand the difference, for example, between water stress and nitrogen stress. One of the other projects that we have been working on a lot is variable rate nitrogen application at uh, side dress time in corn. And we think that being able to couple this kind of information with the information on uh, nitrogen need that we're getting from some of the commercial crop canopy sensors would be really a, a neat next step to be able to sort out the differences between um, nitrogen stress where you need to apply more nitrogen and water stress where if it's not an irrigated field, um, you know, you just sort of have to accept the fact that you're water stressed and hope for rain. And, and in that case, you might not apply more nitrogen in that part of the field. So lots of neat uh, other implications for precision ag management, even outside of irrigation. Well, that is very interesting. It will be interesting to see the results that you get from those studies. Ken, before we let you go, if folks would like to read through some of the information or the study that we've talked about today, how can they find it? If uh, if you want to look at it in a scientific report, then it can be found in the journal Computers and Electronics in Agriculture, which uh, um, is you know one of these web a journal that you can download information from the web and and if they search on canopy temperature and and my name then uh, it'll pop right up. Awesome. Well, Dr. Ken Sedeth of MU, or University of Missouri, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. Well, huge thanks to Dr. Sedeth there, kind of filling us in on what they're doing at the University of Missouri, really kind of bringing lots of innovation to the world of agriculture. Yeah, yeah, very cool stuff. Anything we can do to uh, to maximize our let's just say maximize our what maximize our efficiency mm-hmm. in irrigation is huge. As we look at uh, you know the dropping water tables across so many parts of the Great Plains. Yes, definitely. Well, but Mike, listeners can maximize their knowledge in <laughs> different. Nice, <laughs> nice segue. I feel like you have now graduated the intern program. You're now a professional with a segue like that. Oh yeah, I'm definitely learning a lot. But listeners can always maximize their knowledge by listening to our podcast. Mike, where can they find us? They should find us on the web. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. That'll take you to our new home at the Global Ag Network. You can catch up on all of our past episodes as well as episodes of other fantastic agriculturally focused podcasts. Be sure to listen to them all. Lots of great content, lots of stuff to keep you entertained. And we want to hear from you, folks. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily and all those places. We'll turn up. Send us your photos. Send us your thoughts. Send us your prognostications on the market. We're here 
for it, listeners. But with that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.